Amen, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. And as you do that, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black one uh, somewhere right around you. That is our gift to you this morning. We want all of our eyes on God's Word as we gather. So if I had not gone into uh, ministry full-time, one of the things that I would have been uh, really interested in pursuing is this whole idea of like marketing and advertising. Um, I love to think about and to analyze how different companies, different organizations kind of tell their story. Um, I love thinking about like when commercials play, like why they play at certain times and the, the message that they're communicating and um, the little ads you see like on, you know, the Facebook and like, I love that stuff. I geek out over it. I think it'd be really fun to be in that. And I think it's really interesting. Um, these different companies that they'll use these like slogans, these little uh, four or five word things that just kind of make it like they stick in our minds. And when we hear it, we go, oh yeah, that's that company. That's that organization. And so we're going to start, I know it's Memorial Day weekend. Um, how many race fans in the house? Anybody looking forward to the Indy 500? Awesome. Um, come tell me why later. Cause I can't get into it. I've tried. I've tried. Um, but Memorial Day weekend, we're all maybe just a little tired. And so just a little slogan quiz to kind of get us warmed up this morning. And so first one is this. The organization company is Nike. And the slogan is just do it. Awesome. Okay, next one. Wheaties. Any of Wheaties cereal box collectors in here? Man, 0 for 2, neither service. Uh, okay, Wheaties is breakfast of champions. Not really. It is gross. Uh, next one. Capital One. Think Samuel L. Jackson. The motto is, what's in your wallet? And then the last one. And here's the deal with this one. You have to do the jingle that goes with it, okay? The words are not enough. So it is McDonald's. Well, okay, sorry. I did not lead you well. I did not lead you well. It is McDonald's. And the slogan is, Da, 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 da. I'm loving it. Yeah, you guys were much more committed to that than first service, so well done. Um, these little slogans are, um, they kind of stick with us. And I think oftentimes um, we do this with, uh, with Jesus. And we kind of tag these little phrases to like, hey, follow Jesus and dot, dot, dot. I think oftentimes when we do it, our intentions are good, but what we do is try to do it in a way that um, relates to and communicates to the culture more so than just like, let's just be faithful to God's word. And so often um, we try to spin following Jesus in a way that just communicates like, hey, follow Jesus and it's comfortable and easy. Because our culture, um, if you haven't noticed, we worship at the altar of comfort and ease. Amen? We are a comfortable culture. And we do everything we possibly can to pursue comfort. Anything that's uncomfortable, it's not easy. Man, get me away from that. I want comfort. I want ease all day long. And so we often try to promote Jesus in a way that communicates to others like, hey, follow Jesus and, and your life will go well. Follow Jesus and, and you'll be happy and, and joy-filled and no problems. Follow Jesus and you can have your best life now. Follow Jesus and we could go on and on and on. And yet I think we actually deceive ourselves when we do that. Because if we just like strictly open this book and read through it and went like, what does this say about following Jesus? I really think, as the uh, marketing expert I am, uh, that the slogan would be this. Follow Jesus and you will suffer. 
We guarantee it. Now, I'm no marketing expert, but that's terrible marketing, right? Notice Nike's little slogan isn't like, Nike, overpay for every pair of shoes you buy. They spin it in a way that sounds really good. Wheaties is not like, Wheaties tastes like tree bark. That's what I think. I pour sugar, like pounds of sugar on my Wheaties. We spin things in a way that sound really good. From a marketing perspective, we would say, hey, the Lord's kind of failed here. Because the slogan as we read through the New Testament is follow Jesus and you'll suffer. And if you don't believe me, look at some of these passages. John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in, you, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Matthew 10, 22, Jesus again says, and you will be what? Hated by all for my name's sake. And notice, it's not you might be, you could be, um, like it's a guarantee, you will be hated. Uh, next one, Philippians 1, 29, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also what? Suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be what? Persecuted. 1 John 3.13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world what? Hates you. You guys encouraged yet? And we could go on. These are just a handful of passages. It is all over Scripture. Followers of Jesus will suffer. And the church in Thessalonica is going through suffering. We've seen kind of in the first part of this letter, Paul writes to them to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. Paul was with them and he said, we tried to tell you ahead of time, like, follow Jesus and suffering will come. And so this church in Thessalonica, in the midst of a pagan culture, decides we're going to follow Jesus. It's this group of people who said, we're going to surrender that old life and we're going to surrender our lives to Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord and Master. And doing that in this culture got them ostracized and pushed to the fringes of their culture. And not only that, but persecution and suffering came their way because they decided to follow Jesus. And I think it's only a matter of time before we're going to start to experience many of the same things in our culture today. All you have to do is look around you and go like, let's just start with the, four, the first four words of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. And let's think about how countercultural this message is. Genesis 1.1, first four words of the Bible. Anybody know it? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, the message that we hear a lot from all different places is, um, hey, you got to be true to who? you got to be true to yourself. What God's word says is, no, 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 no. You don't get to be true to yourself. We are called to be true to our one and only God. God is creator. God gets to call the shots. God sustains my life. God rules my life. And at the end of my life, God will judge my life. That doesn't preach well in our culture. You preach that, you're bold in your witness to say like, hey, God is in control, not us. I don't get to call the shots. I don't get to be true to myself. I'm called to be true to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That message is offensive in our culture, and it's only going to continue to get worse. Again, are you guys encouraged yet? The good news is, we're going to see here, that the question isn't for us, will we suffer? 
The question is when we will suffer and if we will suffer well. And we're gonna see three signs this morning as we walk through our text. Three signs we're suffering well because it's not just enough to get through it, but God calls us to suffer well for his glory and for the good of others. And so as we walk through our text, we're gonna see three signs we're suffering well and then we're gonna cling to this fact that we can suffer well ultimately because we have a savior who suffered immeasurably more for me. I can suffer well because I have a Savior in Jesus who suffered immeasurably more for me. And so we're going to finish by clinging that this morning. But I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into our text together. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, we really, as we gather, we believe, we cling to the fact that your word is alive, it's active, and it's sharp. And so, Lord, I pray that your word truly this morning, it would penetrate our hearts, that we would leave here with your name, your fame, and your word on our hearts and on our minds. And God, even just for the next like 25, 30 minutes, let us set aside the distractions of the day, of the weekend, the different things we have going on. And God, we just want to be all in on your word. Grip our hearts through your spirit. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Be with us now. And help us leave here ready to suffer well for your glory and for the good of others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to start in chapter 2. Our text for this morning is 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, verse 6. But I I want us to kind of get into the mindset that Paul is writing this from. And so I want to rewind a little bit. And we're going to start 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. 17 and kind of get into the context here. And so uh, chapter 2, verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, this is Paul writing to the church here in Thessalonica, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so let's, let's get there. Let's get into the mindset of Paul. And so Paul was with these people in the church in Thessalonica. He was pouring out his heart, pouring out his life, wanting to see believers, followers of Jesus raised up here in this city. And then due to some persecution and unforeseen events, Paul is ripped suddenly from these people and forced to go to a different city. And so Paul is in this mindset of like heart heavy for the people and the church here in Thessalonica. You can set, you get this sense of like worry, the sense of angst over these people and like are they truly still committed in following Jesus in the midst of this suffering and persecution that's come as a result of their commitment to say we follow Jesus, we don't follow anybody else. And so Paul, there's like this sense of, of overwhelming angst for them. And I think this is really hard for us to get in our culture because we're so connected. 
Like you, you know, got cell phones and computers and FaceTime and Skype. And um, we are so, so connected. And so just imagine for a moment, some of you are going to start twitching just thinking about this. Imagine we shut all your technology off. Deep breath. It's okay. Technology's gone. Phones off. Computers off. And then we send you halfway across the country just today. No warning, nothing. There's going to be this like worry and angst about how are things back at home? How's my family? How's my friends? What's going on with my job? Do I still have a job? There's this like sense of worry, this sense of like, I've got to know what's going on. This is what Paul's feeling for these people. Like, I've got to know, are they still committed and following Jesus with everything they have, even in the midst of their suffering? And so he gets to the point where he just like can't take it anymore. He sends Timothy up to this church in Thessalonica. And so now we're going to see Timothy come back and bring a report here. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you. So Timothy went, spent time there. Now he's come back and has brought us the good news of your what? Of your faith and what? Love. Timothy has come to us. He's brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly. And as we long to see you, you long to see us. And so we see here, Timothy comes back from this church in Thessalonica, and he brings really, really good news. He brings the good news of their firm faith and their firm love, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of pain, because they're decided to follow Jesus, their faith and their love has remained strong. So much so that it's interesting here, Timothy actually reports that they're longing to see Paul. See, I think oftentimes what suffering can do to us is suffering can become distracting. Suffering can can make us bitter. It can harden our hearts. It can paralyze our wills. It can cause us to miss opportunities that God places all around us to just be faithful, to be bold in our witness, and to make disciples for Jesus. Suffering can turn us inward. And before we know it, for hours, for days, for weeks, for months, for years, all we've thought about is me, 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 and my suffering, my pain, my persecution. But what we see here in this church is a thriving faith, a thriving love, so much so that they're not even thinking about themselves, but they're like, we want to know how Paul's doing. Don't worry about us. We're fine. How's Paul? We want to see you again. There's this longing for others, even in the midst of their suffering. And so we see here the first sign that we're suffering well is this. Number one, if my faith and love are firm and not fading, then I'm suffering well. The first sign that I'm suffering well, if my faith and love are firm and not fading, then I'm suffering well. See, for us, when we're suffering well, my faith is strong. My faith is firm. It's planted. It's rooted. My love is continuing to move outward, not not turn inward. Uh, In love, I'm continuing to sacrifice for the good of others. I'm continuing to lay my life down for the glory of God and the furthering of his kingdom, even in the midst of persecution and suffering. The first sign that we're suffering well my faith and love are firm and not fading. And I think it's important for us to ask, like, how, this isn't possible, right? I mean, in the midst of suffering and pain and physical pain and, and the pain of others, like, is it really possible for us to keep a strong faith in Jesus and a strong love for others? And the answer is a resounding yes. 
It is possible. And I could share story after story after story after story with you this morning of people from all around the world who in the midst of their own persecution have remained firm in their faith and their love. But I want to share one that just struck me this week. And so the story is about a man named Hafiz. Hafiz was a member of Al-Qaeda for years and years. Um, Over time, he began to interact with another Jesus follower who was bold in his witness, shared the gospel with Hafiz. And over time, Hafiz came to surrender his life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now Hafiz starts to go around and share the gospel. A friend of his gets saved. And so Hafiz and this friend of his go to these different villages, these different towns, these different cities, and they're just sharing the gospel with these members of Al-Qaeda, with these members of like extreme Islam belief and faith. And, And they're just bold in their witness for Jesus. Well, over time, some ex-Al-Qaeda buddies um, hunt them down, they find them, they arrest them, they put chains on their legs, they chain their hands, and they put them in a room where they can't sit, they have to stand straight up, and they're there for two weeks. And all they ask them to do, the suffering can end like that, all they have to say is, Allah is God. And so they beat them, they beat them, they beat them, they come in and say, hey, just forget about Jesus and say Allah is God. And they look at him and say, we serve the living God through Jesus Christ. More beatings, more beatings, more beatings. So like, give up Jesus, give up Jesus. We serve the living God through Jesus Christ. More beatings, more persecution, more physical suffering. Give it up, give it up. And they, they continually stand firm and strong in their faith and love. To the point where they actually take Hafiz's friend. They kill Hafiz's friend. They come into Hafiz and tell him, hey, we just killed your buddy. The same is going to happen to you in a week if you don't just finally surrender, like give up the Jesus thing and just admit Allah is God. And he looks at him and he says, we serve the living God through Jesus Christ. A day or two later, one of the guards comes into Hafiz's room and he says, dude, you, you have to explain something to me. In the midst of all of this persecution and pain and suffering, there is this joy that he said, there's a physical glow around your body. Like, what is that? And so Hafiz just shares the gospel with him. This guard gets saved, surrenders his life to Jesus. And then I love this next part. The guard drugs all the other guards. How awesome is that? God can use drugs. And so these people passed out. Passed out, gives him sleeping pills. This guard takes Hafiz and sneaks away with him, and they escape. About a week later, some friends of Hafiz get in touch with him, and they're just trying to encourage him and hear how he's doing. And, and they just asked him, like, hey, how, how, how are you? Like, how was that? And he said this, my body has never been weaker, but my spirits and joy have never been higher. And so, like, after they got done picking their chins up off the ground... They said, Hafiz, what are you going to do next? He says, I'm going to go back. They must know Jesus. I must go back. And they said, are you sure that's safe? I'm sure. They must know Jesus. And so to this day, Hafiz now just travels around to cities, villages, towns, not being stupid about it, but in a wise way and in a bold way, he shares the gospel. 
This is just one of many, many, many stories. In the face of persecution, in the face of physical suffering, there's this firm commitment, this unshakable commitment to say, I'm going to hold on to faith and love in the midst of my suffering. And yet I'm not willing to walk across the street to talk to my neighbor. I'm not willing to reach out and like have a conversation with the person who works next to me. I'm not willing to to reach out to that family member who I know doesn't know Jesus. Let's be people. Let's be a church who are firm in our faith and love, even in the midst of awkward conversations and suffering and persecution. And I mean, let's just be honest. We're probably not going to experience anything like Hafiz experienced here. Let's be firm in our faith and our love for Jesus in the midst of suffering. Remember, it's not if, but when suffering comes, will we suffer well? The first sign we're suffering well is if my faith and love are firm and not fading. Let's move on in our text this morning, and we're going to see the second sign that we're suffering well. First Thessalonians, let's start again, chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us, from you, and he's brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress, in all our affliction, we have been what? Comforted. We have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? And so we see Timothy comes back. He brings this amazing report of how the church in Thessalonica is doing. And then you get this sense of just like relief from Paul going, I am so comforted by the faith and the love of the church here in Thessalonica. That in the midst of Paul's own suffering, in the midst of Paul's own trial, what brings him the most joy, what brings him the most comfort is the faith and love of this church in Thessalonica, of these group of of Jesus followers there. It's interesting in verse 8, Paul says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And what Paul's saying there isn't that like they were dead, this news came and like boom, raised to life. What Paul's saying there is like by this news, we've been rejuvenated, re energized. Um, how many of you are runners? Any runners in the house? Man, there are not many runners in this church. <laughs> um, so I'm a runner. If you combined my running times throughout a year, I'm probably a runner about a month out of the year. So a couple days here, I'll take a break for about a month, and then I'll be like, I got to start running again. And so maybe combined, about a month out of the year. But in my, in my running experience, I have had times where you're about maybe a mile or two into the run, and boom, all of a sudden it just hits you like, I would give anything for just a cold, like ice in there, sweat dripping off the cup, like give me that glass of water. I need it. I want it. And typically it happens when you're like halfway through. So you got to run all the way back to the house. You walk through the door. You go to the cabinet. You pull the glass down. You scoop the ice in there. You put the water in. And man, those first couple sips, there's just something about the like new life it gives you. Like it's re-energizing. It's rejuvenating. For Paul, this is what he's saying. The news of their faith, the news of their love, even in the midst of suffering, this for me is like a glass of cold water on a burning hot day. There's nothing that could comfort me more than hearing of their love and of their 
faith. In verse 9, he says this, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake? It's almost like he's saying, like, we can't say enough to just simply thank God for this, like, exploding joy that we feel over your faith and love in the midst of suffering. Three signs were suffering well. The first one, if my faith and love are firm and not fading. The second sign is this, if my greatest joy If my greatest joy comes from the thriving faith of others and not the quickest end of my discomfort, then I am suffering well. Just like Paul, in the midst of his own suffering, what brought him comfort, what brought him joy, what brought him relief wasn't the end of his suffering. It was the news of this thriving faith of the church in Thessalonica. For us, we know we're suffering well when my greatest joy comes from the thriving faith of others, not the quickest end of my own pain, persecution, discomfort. How do we know this is us? Because it's easy to look at these words on the screen and go like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. But, But how do we really know? I think we have to be honest with ourselves and answer this question. Am I willing to suffer pain and persecution if it means the spiritual thriving of others? Am I willing to stay in my suffering? Am I willing to stay in my own persecution if it means that others' faith is thriving? And I'm just going to be honest with you. The answer for me is not really. I want to be comfortable. I love you all, but honestly, I don't love you that much. I want comfort. Get me out of my suffering. Get me out of my discomfort. Well, what if it means their faith isn't thriving? Ah, Somebody else will have to take care of it. Just get me out of it. God, more in my life of saying, give me pain and suffering. If it means you all sitting in these seats have a thriving faith and love for Jesus, I'll take pain and suffering all day if it means I get to watch you follow Christ. God, more of that in my life, more of that in our church. And Paul is such an amazing example of this for us. So much so that he says in Romans chapter 9, verse 3. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it for you. Romans chapter 9, verse 3. Paul is willing to suffer pain and persecution for the thriving spiritually of others. Listen to this. Paul says, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if it would save others. Can we just let that sink in? Think about what Paul's saying here. Paul just wrote and said, hey, I'm willing to suffer an eternity apart from Jesus in hell if it means you all get to know and love Jesus Christ. I'm willing to give up my own salvation, lay it down, and suffer an eternity apart from Christ if it means you all are committed and thriving and love Jesus and love other people. Give me hell if it means heaven for you. Are you kidding me? Can we be honest? That's not me. Again, I love you all but I don't love you at the price of hell for me. More in our lives of saying, God, if it means the spiritual thriving of other people, I'll walk through pain and suffering all day long. 
And I think often for me, while I, why I don't desire this and want this is I don't truly understand the riches that we have in Jesus. Jesus isn't just my way to get out of hell and get to heaven. Jesus is the, there, there's treasures immeasurable in him. There's fullness of riches that we just don't even grasp and understand, that I don't grasp and understand. Jesus is not just okay, like Jesus is the best. The reality is if I have Jesus and nothing else, I have everything I need. And so more of that in my life, more of that in our church to go, man, if we have to experience pain and suffering, but it means you're good, I will suffer. I'll go through pain to see others' faith thriving and growing. Three signs we're suffering well. Number one, if my faith and love are firm and not fading. Number two, if my greatest joy comes from the thriving faith of others and not the quickest end of my discomfort. And then let's continue on in 1 Thessalonians to look for the third sign here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, let's pick it up again in verse 9. Paul says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. There's this overwhelming sense of thanksgiving and joy that Paul feels here. And then he says, As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so here we get a glimpse into Paul's most earnest and most heartfelt prayers not just like the routine prayers. We get to see Paul's like, no voice left, knees to the earth, face to the ground of prayers. And for all of us, if we could go back and look at those times, not just like going through the prayer list, but times where we're just like literally screaming out to the Lord, it would show us where our heart really is and what our heart truly values. Our deepest, most heartfelt prayers expose our own hearts. And so we get a glimpse of that here in Paul's life. It's so interesting to see his most earnest prayers, really two things in verses 9 and 10. The one thing he prays there in verse 10 is he wants to be with them. He says, like, I'm praying most earnestly that we may see you face to face. There's this ministry of presence that Paul is longing for, that he's asking the Lord to provide, that he can be with these people to encourage them, to see them mature and grow in their faith and love for Jesus and in their love for others. And then the second thing he prays is we want to be there to supply what is lacking in your faith. And I think this is a really interesting phrase we need to unpack quickly. Um, what this isn't saying is that the Thessalonians had like some faith, but it wasn't enough to like save them. This isn't talking about saving faith. So what was lacking in their life wasn't like they need to make sure they're getting ahead. Like they've placed their faith and trust in Jesus. What he's saying is by like what's, what's lacking in their faith is this idea of we want to see them continue to grow as disciples of Jesus. We all have areas in our life that we would go like, hey, I'm lacking in faith in this area. Like areas of disobedience in our life. What those really are is a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith to say, like, God, I'm going to trust that what you say is actually better than how I think I need to live. And so I'm going to put my full faith and trust 
in, in like living this way. And so Paul is basically saying, we want to be there to help them mature in Christ, to know Christ, to love Christ, to see this faith in Christ continue to thrive. His most heartfelt and earnest prayers have nothing to do with getting out of suffering. Notice there's not one mention of saying, God, get me out of this. He's saying, God, get me to those people so I can see them grow in their love and faith for Jesus. And then he continues on in verses 11 through 13. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. There it is again. He wants to be with these people, this ministry of presence. And then he says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul's most earnest and heartfelt prayer for these people is they would increase and overflow in love for other people. And as they increase and overflow in love for other people, they're gonna be able to someday, when Jesus comes back, stand in holiness before him. Like, we want to see these people grow in love, grow in faith. Sign number three that we're suffering well is this. If my most heartfelt prayers, if my most earnest prayers are focused on eternal realities, not temporary relief, then I'm suffering well. If my most heartfelt prayers are focused on eternal realities and not temporary relief, then I'm suffering well. Again, we notice here that what's missing from Paul's prayers is this whole idea of God, get me out of this situation. What he's praying for, these most earnest, heartfelt, passionate prayers is God, let them grow in their faith and their love for others. The question we need to ask this morning is, is if I were to go back and look, what have I prayed for the hardest? When I've prayed the loudest, when I've prayed the most passionately, what does that look like? And for me, my most earnest, my most heartfelt prayers are typically just expressions of selfishness. Do I pray for others? Sure, but it's kind of just the routine, go through the list. Do I pray for family? Yeah, but it's kind of go through the list, you know, walk through some things. But like those prayers where I'm just like knees to the earth, face to the ground, crying out to the Lord, no voice left kind of prayers. You want to know who most of the time that is? It's for me. And God calls us to lay that aside to say, like, what if? What if my most passionate prayers, what if my most heartfelt expression of crying out to the Lord was actually not about me, but about the faith and love of other people? What if my most heartfelt, passionate prayers were for my baristas at Starbucks that I interact with on a weekly basis? To be honest, I've prayed, with, prayed for them maybe a handful of times. God would say, hey, your most heartfelt, most passionate prayers should be all about those baristas at Starbucks who don't know Jesus. They need to know. They must know. What if my most passionate, void, no voice left prayers were for you all sitting in these seats? What if they were for my small group and, and, and saying, God, would their faith and their love just continue and thrive? And would it be strong? And, and do I pray for my small group? Sure. But my most passionate prayers, I love my small group, but they're not for my small group. Harvest, let us be a church. Let us be a people whose most passionate prayers are not focused on my relief, but they're focused on eternal, eternal realities for the good of other people. I know I won't get to the end of my life and wish I prayed for me more. 
I know I'll get to the end of my life and wish, man, I wish I prayed more prayers that moved the kingdom of God and sent ripple effects throughout all of eternity. A guy named Ian e. Bounds writes a lot about prayer, and he says this, if we do our part, God will do his Around us is a world lost in sin. Above us is a God willing and able to save. He's able to move us to grow in faith and love. It is ours to build the bridge that links heaven and earth, and prayer is the mighty instrument that does the work. God is ready. God is willing. God is able. It is ours to build a bridge, and the way we do it is prayer. And not just prayer, God, get me out of this, but God... Let them know you and love you and treasure you and see the riches that are available in Christ. More of those kind of prayers for us as a people. Three signs we're suffering well. If I'm suffering well, my faith and love are firm and not fading. If I'm suffering well, my greatest joy is from the thriving faith of others and not the quickest end of my discomfort. And if I'm suffering well, my most heartfelt, my most passionate prayers are about eternal realities and not temporary relief. The question for us isn't, will we suffer? We know we will suffer. The question is, will I suffer well? God has called us to not waste our suffering, to not waste the persecution we walk through because we follow Jesus. And ultimately this morning, we cling to this, that we can suffer well I can suffer well because Jesus has suffered immeasurably more for me. I can suffer well because Jesus has suffered immeasurably more for me. This morning, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, like Hebrews 12 says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus who laid aside all the comforts of heaven. He emptied himself, became a man, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus suffered immeasurably more than we can ever imagine. Therefore, we can suffer well. We can be people who walk through suffering, who walk through persecution, with our faith and love not just intact but thriving and seeking the good of others in the midst of it. And so this morning, as we close, we're going to have a time to take communion together and to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on the suffering servant who suffered for us. I love what John Piper says. He says, the ultimate purpose of the universe is to display the greatness of the glory of God. The highest, clearest, surest display of that glory is in the suffering of the best person, Jesus, in the universe for millions of undeserving sinners. Oh, Christian, remember that all of us who believe in Christ are immeasurably rich in Jesus and have so much to live for. Don't waste your suffering. Savor the riches that you have in Christ and spend yourself, no matter what the cost, to spread his riches to this desperate world. And so as we gear up for communion, I really want us to focus on the riches that we have available to us in Christ the sweetness of Jesus, that even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of pain, we can cling to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who endured the cross. 
And so as we close here this morning, we're gonna spend a few minutes just gearing up our own hearts, getting ready to take communion, hopefully just lay aside the distractions of our week, our month, our year, and just fix our eyes on Jesus. And so a couple of just practical instructions as we do that. One, as the ushers come forward, you're gonna see um, as the trays pass by, there's gonna be two cups stacked on top of each other. Make sure to take both of those cups. And then if you need a gluten-free option, um, kind of in that center circle, you'll find that there for you. But let's spend the next couple minutes just preparing our own hearts to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross for us so that we can be people who suffer well. And so let me pray, then we'll take communion together. Father, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for Jesus. And God, we know as we, as we look at this letter, as we look at 1 Thessalonians, suffering is coming for us. But God, we don't have to be afraid of it. Persecution is coming for us, but we don't have to fear it because we have a Savior in Jesus who suffered immeasurably more than we will ever know, and he did it for me, and he did it for you. And so, Lord, this morning as we gear up for communion, we want to lay aside the distractions. We want to lay aside the things that so easily pull us away, and we want to run back into your arms. For many of us, we've thought about the cross so much that it can just become routine. And God, I pray against the routine for us this morning, but that we would see afresh and anew the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ. The suffering servant, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, who laid his life down so that we could come to you. So God, prepare our hearts as we prepare to take communion together. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Upon your shoulders 
The power of sin undone The cross for my salvation The Lamb of God in my place Your blood poured out my sin erased it was my death you died i am raised to life hallelujah the lamb of god before he was crucified he took the bread and he said this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me and then Jesus took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant of my blood poured out and shed for you do this in remembrance of Father, we come before you now and we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. We thank you for sending Jesus who lived the perfect life that we could never live, who died the death that we deserved so that we could come back into relationship with you. God, your word tells us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of yours, running hard away from you, you sent your son Jesus to bear our sin and the weight of it all. We remember that. We praise you for it this morning. And we pray it all in Jesus' name.